Well, I became a Christian just as I was turning 17. And about four or five months later, this beautiful gal came to the church and said that you could be a summer counselor at these Bible camps. I'd never heard of Bible camp, but never heard of CSSM. But um, decided to sign up and I went to four different camps that summer. And then I picked the one I liked the most and kept going back to that one. And it was Lake of the Trees Bible Camp in 100 Mile House. Now when I started there, there was the running water. What you had to do was pump water from the lake up to a 300 gallon tank at the top of the dining hall. And then it was all gravity fed to the rest of the camp. And the, the, the sewage was just whatever holes they dug under, whatever buildings you did your business in. And the electricity was an old diesel engine with a generator attached to it. And that's how I learned what camp was like. Now it's, I, I went back a few years ago and they've got well water and proper treatment and real electricity and it just wasn't the same. It just wasn't the same. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you a couple funny things. The first thing is that my son Joel is making more now working with CSSM than I did as a camp director <laughs> back in 1992 was my last year as a full-time, well, full-time summer camp director. That's just a little thing. That's not a complaint, by the way. <laughs> but, but what we got away with back then is so much different than what I think you can get away with now. Like during one of our teen camps, we decided we would surprise the teens. Well, there were bears roaming around the area. We hadn't actually seen one that year, but people knew it was a bear kind of area. And so we told the kids, um, if we see a bear, we need you all to gather in the dining room so that we can count everybody, make sure everyone's okay, and then let you go back to your cabins. So we waited till about midnight, even a little after midnight. I took my shotgun and blew two rounds into the nearest tree. If you've ever set off a shotgun at night, it, the flame just goes for like three or four feet. It's just... And, I, and it was loud. So, so boom, boom. And then we go and we ring the camp bell again and again and again. So all the teens are gathering in the dining hall and they're all there and they're all like. <laughs> and then we bring out ice cream sundaes for them to eat. <laughs> that was just too much fun. It was just too much fun. I don't know if you can do those sort of things these days. And yeah, I am recording this, so I hope they can't hold it against me <laughs> in the future. Alrighty, I did come up here to share the word, so I'm going to just get a sip of water first, so my mouth's a little dry. Reading from Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, I'll start at the beginning and read down to verse 12. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. 
By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith he still speaks, even though he's dead. By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Verse 7. By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith Abraham, when he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Father God, teach us from your word this morning, we pray. Amen. A small congregation in the foothills of the Great Smokies built a new sanctuary on a piece of land that had been willed to them by a church member. Ten days before the new church was to open, the local building inspector informed the pastor that the parking lot was inadequate for the size of the building. Until the church doubled the size of the parking lot, they would not be able to use the new sanctuary. Unfortunately, the church, with its undersized lot, had built the building so that they had used every inch of their land except the mountain against which it had been built. So in order to build more parking spaces, they would have to move the mountain out of their backyard. Undaunted, the pastor announced on Sunday morning that he would meet that evening with all members who had mountain-moving faith. They would hold a prayer session asking for God to remove the mountain from the backyard and to somehow provide enough money to have it paved and painted before the scheduled opening dedication service the following week. Well, at the appointed time, 24 of the congregation's 300 members assembled for prayer. They prayed for nearly three hours, and at 10 o'clock, the pastor said the final amen. We'll open next Sunday as scheduled, he assured everyone, God has never let us down before, and I believe he will be faithful this time as well. The next morning, when he was working in his study, there came a loud knock at his door. 
When he called, come in, a rough-looking construction foreman appeared, removing his hard hat as he entered. Excuse me, Reverend. I'm from Acme Construction Company over in the next county. We're building a huge shopping mall, and we need a large amount of fill. Would you be able to sell us a chunk of that mountain behind the church? We'll not only pay you for the dirt we remove, we'll also pave the exposed area free of charge. So if we can have it right of way. We can't do anything else until we get the fill in and allow it to settle properly. Well, the little church was dedicated the next Sunday as originally planned. And there were far more members with mountain-moving faith on the opening Sunday than there had been the previous week. Would you have shown up for that prayer meeting? Now, the details of this story aren't verifiable. I'm not going to stand up here and say it actually happened. If it did... Great. It's a great example of what can happen when a church takes seriously, takes faith seriously, and asks God to do great things. If it's not true, if it's just a story to encourage us, that's okay too. Because I know that God can do things like this. And he does things like this for hundreds of churches and millions of Christians around the world every day. My faith isn't in the story but in the God behind it. Now, faith gets a very clear definition in the Bible. We read it in our first verse. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That is what the ancients were commended for. Sure of what we hope for. Being sure of what we hope for is faith in the future tense. It's looking forward to our eventual arrival in heaven, even though we've never been there. We live with future tense faith in small and large ways every day. Parents raise their children with a future tense faith, looking forward to the days they will thrive as adults. Sometimes we get scared that they may not succeed, or they may be hurt along the way or they'll have difficult hurdles to overcome. But we dare not drop our future faith tense in raising our kids, regardless of all the possible outcomes that might interfere with their development. They need that sense of sureness from us that they will learn, they will grow, and they will thrive as adults. There's no room for argument here. This is part of being a parent. There's other ways I can describe faith in the future tense as well. Loading up on freezer bags before a fishing trip, because you know you're going to be packing pickerel away before the day is done. Buying Christmas presents in July, because you know that December 25th is going to come sooner than you think. Reserving a room in a city that you're flying into, because you know the plane will land there. All of these examples, for better or worse, are part of the faith that is being sure of what we hope for. Faith in the future tense. But faith isn't just looking ahead. It's looking around right now. And that's why we also read 
that faith is being certain of what we do not see. Being certain of what we do not see is faith in the present tense. We do not see God, but we are certain He is there. We do not see most of the world that we live in. I've only been in three countries, all on the same continent, in my entire life. Many people in this world don't travel more than a dozen miles from where they were born their entire lives. To accept that the rest of the world is there right now could be a step of faith. It might be a pretty easy step of faith. After all, I can look at maps. I can hear from story, stories from others who've traveled on these other continents. I can listen to the news and hear about what's going on in other places. I can even go online and see satellite images of the rest of the world and make the conclusion pretty securely that the rest of the world is indeed there. But we make assumptions about our everyday world all the time that demonstrate present tense faith. We go to work trusting that there will be a job waiting for us. We don't see our jobs, we just know they'll be there. We use whatever tools we use, be they power tools or kitchen utensils, laptop computers or chalk or stethoscopes or whatever, trusting that they will do what they're made to do. We don't see all the parts, but we trust that they're going to do what they should. We drive our cars, trusting that a thousand parts are working in unison to keep us on the road. We don't see them all working together. We just trust that they are and drive on. We send our kids to school trusting that the school is open. The teachers are ready and the kids are healthy enough to attend class. We might see the teacher in the building, but there's so much more happening that we don't see. And yet we have faith that our children will learn. So faith is being sure of what we hope for. Future tense. Certain of what we do not see. Present tense. So what about the past? The defining verse I read doesn't include the past, but the rest of the chapter gives examples of people who demonstrated great faith in the past. And I'm sharing them with you, hoping that you'll accept them as truth, that you'll put faith in them and grow closer to God as a result. I have a present tense faith that you'll accept these stories as, as accurate. A future tense faith that it will benefit you spiritually. But how do we explain putting faith in something that's already occurred? Like the world being formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. This is the primary stumbling block for those who deny that God had anything to do with creation, getting something from nothing. They can explain very well how the world works, how life develops, and dare I use the word, evolves. But can they tell us how we get something from nothing? God can. God can do that. He can get something from nothing. But do you put your faith in that? 
Like Abel, the second baby born and raised on planet Earth, growing up to be a man who offered a sacrifice that was more pleasing to God than the offering his older brother Cain prepared. Like Enoch being the very first person to live without experiencing death, because God came and simply took him into heaven. Like Noah building the floating zoo, Abraham leaving a life of comfort to begin a life of destiny. How do we know all this happened? How do we trust these accounts? There's the word that hasn't come up in the definition yet. In faith we are sure of our hope because God keeps his promises. Certain of our present because God is always here for us. And we trust in the past because God has proven himself trustworthy again and again. Trust is based on past experience. We learn to trust people as we interact with them. We evaluate our trust based on our experience with them. If they prove themselves to do as they promise, do what they should and what they can for us, we trust them more and more. If they break their promises, try to harm us or just neglect us, we trust them less and less. The trust that is built on past experience will affect how certain we can be that they will hold true for the present. And that affects how we can be, how sure we can be for the future. Now what does all this have to do with our faith right here and now? Do you trust that God is who he says he is? That his word is what it claims to be? And that Jesus is all he said he was? If you can answer that affirmatively, then you will find it's easier to be certain that God will help us with the present. And that it's easier to be sure that what he encourages us to hope for will one day be provided. If you cannot answer this in the affirmative, then to understand and grow in faith, you need to take a closer look at who God is. You need to learn the essential message that his word says to us. And you need to see Jesus Christ for who he is. He does stand up to scrutiny. He is worthy of our faith. If you want to know more, you'll just have to come back to church and learn more about them. I say that with a smile, but really, if you ever want to talk about Jesus here, just ask. Just ask and we'll talk. I want to close today with another story, one that's intended to build our faith. It's like one of those stories you hear from time to time, but unlike many of them, this one has been verified. It's been found out to be true. It comes from a medical missionary back in the 1950s. It's called A Little Girl's Prayer. One night I had worked hard to help a mother in the labor ward, but in spite of all we could do, she passed away, leaving us with a tiny premature baby and a crying two-year-old daughter.
We would have difficulty keeping the baby alive as we had no incubator. We had no electricity to run an incubator. We also had no special feeding abilities. Although we lived on the equator, nights were often chilly with treacherous drafts. One student midwife went for the box we had for such babies and the cotton wool the baby would be wrapped in. Another went to stoke up the fire and fill a hot water bottle. She came back shortly in distress to tell me that in filling the bottle, it had burst. Rubber perishes easily in tropical climates. And this is our last hot water bottle, she exclaimed. As in the West, it is no good crying over spilled milk. So in Central America, it might be considered no good crying over burst water bottles. They don't grow on trees and there's no drugstores in the jungle. All right, I said, put the baby as near to the fire as you safely can and sleep between the baby and the door to keep it free from drafts. Your job is to keep the baby warm. The following noon, as I did on most days, I went to have prayers with any of the orphanage children who chose to gather with me. I gave the youngsters various suggestions about what to pray for and told them about the tiny baby. I explained our problem about keeping the baby warm enough, mentioning the hot water bottle. The baby could die so easily if it got chills. I also told them of the two-year-old sister crying because her mother had died. During the prayer time, one ten-year-old girl, her name was Ruth, prayed with the usual blunt conciseness of our African children. Please, God, she said, send us a water bottle. It'll be no good tomorrow, God, as the baby will be dead. So please send it this afternoon. While I gasped inwardly at the audacity of the prayer, she added by way of a corollary, and while you're about it, would you please send a dolly for the little girl so she'll know you really love her. As often with children's prayers, I was put on the spot. Could I honestly say amen? I just, not, I just did not believe that God could do this. Oh yes, I knew he could do anything. The Bible says so. But there are limits, aren't there? The only way God could answer this particular prayer was by sending me a parcel from the homeland. I had been in Africa for about four years that time, and I had never ever received a parcel from home. And anyway, if anyone did send a parcel, who would put a hot water bottle in a container, in a package, that's going to the equator? Halfway through the afternoon, while I was teaching in the nurse's training school, a message was sent that there was a car by my front door. By the time I reached the car, by, by, by the time I reached home, the car had gone. But there on the veranda was a large 22-pound parcel. I felt tears prickling my eyes. I couldn't open the parcel alone, so I sent for the orphanage children. Together we pulled off the string, carefully undoing each knot. We folded the paper, taking care not to tear it unduly. 
Excitement was mounting. Some 30 or 40 pairs of eyes were focused on the large cardboard box. From the top of it, I lifted out brightly colored knit jerseys. Eyes sparkled as I gave them out. Then there were the knit bandages for the leprosy patients, and the kids started to look a little bored. Then came a box of raisins and sultanas that would make for a nice batch of buns later in the weekend. And then, as I put my hand in again, I felt it. Could it really be? I grasped it and pulled it out, and yes, it was a brand new rubber hot water bottle. I cried. I hadn't asked God to send it. I hadn't truly believed he could. Ruth, who was in the front row of the children, rushed forward crying out, if he sent the bottle, the dolly's in there too. <laughs> and rummaging down to the bottom of the box, she pulled out a small, beautifully dressed doll. Her eyes were shining. She had never doubted. Looking at me, she asked, can I go over with you, mummy, and give this dolly to that little girl so that she'll know that Jesus really loves her? That parcel had been on its way for over five months, packed up by my former Sunday school class, whose leader had heard and obeyed God's prompting to send a hot water bottle, even to the equator. And one of the girls had put in a dolly for an African child. Five months before, in answer to the believing prayer of a 10-year-old child to bring it that afternoon. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It is trusting that God has done great things in the past and that he still does. Will you trust him? today. Let's pray. Father God, will we trust you today? That we all have to answer. That's a question we all have to answer in our hearts. And you know every experience we've been through. You know the experiences we've been through that build our faith. And you know the ones that strip away at it. Help us, God, to place our faith in you. Help us to understand you more. None of us understands you all the way, but we can understand you enough to put our faith in you. If we're not there, help us to get there. If we are there, help us to help others. But Lord, help us to place and keep our faith in you. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is faithful. Amen.